Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Out of Character with Jupiter Sanders. And I, once again, am Jupiter Sanders. And tonight, or today, depending on when you're listening, we're going to talk to three cast members of the Burning Edge podcast. We have Deuce, who plays Deuce. Hello, Deuce. Hey, how's it going? We have Jeff, who uh, plays Jean-Baptiste. And we have Quar, who plays Cassandra, a.k.a. Thumper. Hello. Hello. We do not have the lovely Catherine, who plays Kat. We'll do a separate interview with her. So welcome, gentlemen. Burning Edge. You have to describe it in one sentence. What is Burning Edge? Oh, boy. Describe it in one sentence. Um, one sentence. Dumpster not fire in the future. Dumpster fire in the future. JB, what's your sentence? Furry extravaganza with a side of French mastication. Wow. Far. A continually hazardous and humor- humorous clown fiesta. Oh. Okay. So, it, you know, it, it's Burning Edge. It's Shadowrun 5th edition. The story of runners in the dystopian St. Louis area of the UCAS. And this podcast is the brainchild of Omnicolor, who is the GM for the podcast. And I believe he got it in his head one day after he had consumed many other podcasts and said, you know what? I, I can make a podcast too. I have a story to tell and I, I want that story to be a, in St. Louis, right? Okay. So I think in my brain, in my narrative, JB, you're the first one he reached out to, correct? That is correct. And he reached out to you because... I have an open schedule. <laughs> so you've, you've never been in a podcast before, but you've played RPGs, correct? Correct. All right, so you had RPG experience. You've been in games with Omni, and Omni said, hey, I like Jeff. I know Jeff. Jeff has, has to be a part of this, right? Yes. Okay. And did you have any like nervousness about being part of a podcast or were you just a hundred percent? I'm going to go with the flow. This is great. Oh man. It's more, uh, being able to play more RPGs is all up my alley. No nervousness really. You know, if this was like in front of a live audience, probably be nervous, but since it's recorded in an edited, eh, I'm good. Just going to roll with it. Okay. And then, I think the next person he reached out to was myself, but we're going to skip me. And then Deuce, I correct me if I'm wrong, but you were just randomly found on a spreadsheet in the SCN Discord? That's absolutely correct. Wow. And it was purely based on the fact that I was in the same time zone. <laughs> so clearly... Omni had a standard when it came to casting for his podcast. <laughs> yes, the highest of standards. <laughs> and Kat, Catherine was also found the same way through that, that same spreadsheet as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think if I remember right, also because of time zone. Also because of time zone. Yes. Okay. And, and name, then. And name, right? Because her online handle is Omni Tempest. And so oh, nepotism. Okay. Yes, exactly. I got it. I got <laughs> that it. describes our GM perfectly. So then Deuce, had you had any prior podcast experience? Not podcast per se, at, at least at the time. 
it was something that I was kind of toying with the idea of doing myself with my local group, but we never like actually got it off the ground. So you were like, Hey, this opportunity, number one, play an RPG, number two podcast. I'm, I'm in, I'm on board. You're still yeah. Here. Yeah, absolutely. been playing RPGs since 2002. So. All right. And then we, Burning Edge had a false start and we took a, I think a year long hiatus and we brought in some new people and that's where we found war but i don't know exactly where we found you well to be specific the way i got brought into this i was hanging around somebody else who basically was looking for any sort of shadowrun group to play shadowrun games with we had met in another shadowrun group that the gm was having to be very intermittent due to moving around things of that nature various real life concerns and we kind of had both voiced to each other that, yeah, we're still looking to do Shadowrun-y things, but there's no group that we're aware of. So at that point, he began hunting for any Shadowrun group that he could find. And we went through like three or four, okay, this one seems like it might work, or, oh God, there's some red flags here from this GM, to, no, you cannot put, no, you cannot put Chummer on your phone. No, we're not going to walk you through how to fill out a character sheet with all the math on your phone. Please just get a computer, kid. Also, please stop implying that we're not going to figure out your 12. So then how did Omni actually find you? I don't know how Omni found... Let's see, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I your friend? Don't actually keep, yeah, my friend. I don't actually keep his... Grizzly. I don't keep his uh, username in mind that often. But he eventually found... Omni eventually found Grizzly looking around, and I got pulled along for the one more hop of trying to find any group. And then I was introduced to Omni, introduced to the sort of group that had already developed as far as characters went. I thought it would be amusing to run the literal gun bunny idea. Mm-hmm. Forget what Grizzly was thinking of doing, but uh, they ended up Grizzly ended up not actually sticking around for this group. They they did not like the sort of theming and mood set that the group was going for, in particular because of some interpretations of the lore. All right, so we'll get they, into uh, that. Quar, it's not a monologue. It's a question. Answer it. Sorry. I got, <laughs> I got pulled in by somebody else who got recruited. Omni never actually directly recruited me. I'm just the one who stuck around. Quar. Have you ever, did you do a podcast prior to this ever? Any podcast experience? No, 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 no okay. form of recording experience whatsoever. And that probably shows. No. Most podcasts that get put out really are just regular people just one day decided to turn on a mic and start recording. I mean, that's it. Most of them. Not that I, great. I suppose I'm spoiled by listening to podcasts that have literal voice Production. actors in them. Yeah, high production value in that. Yeah, well, there are those too. But I mean, you know, actual plays are a little different. So so everybody came together and we we started a podcast. We actually got a, a full season under, you got a full season under your, under your belt now of experience in a podcast. What's the most surprising thing, JB, that you learned about playing in a game that's a product versus playing in a game that's just for fun. Whenever you do something crazy, it has a much bigger impact on the story than you're going to realize. 
and it'll end up eating up a lot of airtime. Because usually, like, I'll do something a little bit off the wall, and it'll get resolved in, like, 10, 15 minutes. But I did something off the wall in this game, and it took four or five episodes to resolve. So, yeah, that's one thing I kind of learned going along with all this. Making a, a product a, a little bit different than that fun, casual home game with, with friends. Quar, anything that you were surprised to learn between podcast game and just casual game? Not so much outside the factor of this ended up being the experience that just because it was a little more important that opened my eyes to some things about how putting together a character for a GM to work with is a bit difficult because I gave Omni nothing to work with and that was entirely unintentional and it was only during the course of how a podcast like this goes with the expanding story that I realized, oh, you give GMs lots of problems when you do that. Oh, dear. Yeah. You got to give those knives. Got to give the GM some knives to poke you with in, uh, when yeah, you make a character. I, and I tried to do that, but I did a terrible job. But Omni's run with it, so. Yeah. I, honestly, uh, I, th I think in that situation, um, you'll regret that you didn't give the GM knives because now he's just going to make his own. Well, no, it wasn't a matter of a conscious decision not to give the GM yeah. knives. Yeah. I'm just really bad at it. Okay, so we're going to circle back around to that in a little bit. Deuce, same question. I guess for me, I didn't really notice or learn anything different because I treat this as my casual role-playing, but it just happens to be recorded and edited for an actual play. I guess, yeah, for me, it's just I want to play the game and I want to have fun with people who are now my friends. So I just do that. So you really don't see any difference between the gameplay for a product versus the gameplay in a casual. To you, there's zero difference. It's all the same. I mean, honestly, every time we sit down to record, I feel like I'm sitting across the table from my normal like group of friends who get, you know, off on side tangents and like we should probably be more focused than we are a lot of times, but we aren't. And somehow Omni ends up like wrapping that all up and making a digestible product. Okay. Interesting. So let's talk about the characters you've made. Quart, you you you've already kind of touched on this whole I made a character but I didn't give the GM anything to work with. Is that the biggest regret as far as making her making Cassandra? Like what would you have done differently? Could you go back to day 1 knowing what you know now? Could you go back to day 1? You would change X about Cassandra. I would have put more backstory like elements, more obvious failures and faults and probably I would have optimized my character a little less just to give the GM other things to work with and a wider spread of things Cassandra can do to try and get involved in situations and therefore give more chances of failure or success and interesting things for a group to work with. Yeah, that, that is my primary regret up to this point, making the up to and, this point. And, playing the, <laughs> and then playing the character. <laughs> I mean, I fully acknowledge I'm probably going to see more mistakes. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. Jean Baptiste, what would you uh, change if you could go back to day one? Go back to day one. I'd probably like at least on character creation, give him a little bit more context and flesh out that side of him a little bit more. Because as of now, his contact's pretty weak, and it kind of let limits the amount of story threads that can be generated from that for Omni to work with. That and flesh out his backstory a little bit more. Like, I had a kind of skeleton idea of what I wanted him to be, but I didn't really have a lot of details filled in yet. So, uh, yeah, I'm just going back and fill him out a little bit more, give him a little bit more substance to him, because right now he's kind of just a clown kind of thing. Hopefully it gets filled in as we go. Well, that's that's the wonderful thing about telling the story. We can have plenty of character development and JB can all of a sudden become a pillar of the community <laughs> with table etiquette, banners, and clean oh, no, pressed no, no, that's, clothing. That's not, that's not going to happen. That's, that's not what that's I mean. A, we don't have that kind of time to get to that no, point? No, no. <laughs> I don't think the universe has that kind of time. <laughs> Deuce, what would you change? So I guess I'm going to be a little bit opposite of what Quar had to say. And I think it originally I had a lot of hooks and ideas that I pitched Omni for like story elements and things like that. And I would maybe have narrowed them down just so that way in the form of trying to like get across his personality or be used as like a element to drive a story, there would have been less hooks or less things that I'm trying to do, I guess. Physical, like actual character stats and things like that. I I don't think I would change a whole lot. So all in all, it seems like for the most part, the three of you are satisfied with the character that, that you're currently playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's a character that actually originally I played in the first well, it would have been third edition Shadowrun. I mean, it was changed a little bit just because different story ideas and stuff came to mind when I was bouncing things off of Omni. But all in all, it's a fun, like, I have fun playing this type of character. I'm satisfied with it, but I don't know if the rest of the group is. No, I'm satisfied. What? JB's great. I'm just cheesing. JB's, JB's actually my great. favorite character. But don't don't Has tell he? JB. <laughs> Uh, Quar, do you have a favorite character that's not you? You can't choose your own, basically. Yeah, well, of course. As far as that goes, honestly, I bounce probably between JB and Micah. JB, who's your favorite? Bamps. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, sorry. This is the wrong, wrong one. I think, I, I think I'm going to go with Kat. I think yeah. she has an interesting backstory, and I think she's developing a lot. And I think it's kind of a two-parter, because Deuce is also very integral in that whole story as well. So I'm very interested to see where they're going to go with that. Yeah, that is... Uh, I'm curious to see where that relationship goes. Favorite moment of season one? Do Does anybody have anything that stands out in season one that you're like, this is... This hands down, this is my favorite scene or the most interesting, or this is this is the scene I think that really captured us. Does anybody remember season one? I mean I do. <laughs> who, who who are we going with? <laughs> uh let's go let's go with you, JB. Right. 
I think my favorite moment of season one was whenever we, after the truck job, and we all sat down at the bar in that booth, and we had a long conversation. <laughs> and I just kept pulling tacos out of my pocket, and they kept getting swatted away. And then Deuce punched me in the mouth. And yeah, I thought that was I thought that was a moment for the group. And I thought it showed a lot of like the characters' personalities. I'll actually back that up. Uh, when it when it comes to favorite scenes for the purposes of like, oh, they do so much for helping to explore what each of the characters' role is in a story interacting with each other and things of that nature. Everything around the truck job. Just the leading into it, the challenges that came up midway, you know, when we decide to blow off the driver's head, and oh dear, the other heat signature is the child. And then the scenes after that of chaos of different characters' motivations clashing with each other a bit. Yeah, it was great. The The truck job did a lot for the campaign. Deuce? I really like the race scene with JB and I. I think the elements of like us kind of throwing like jabs back and forth, not proverbial jabs, but just the taunting each other. To me, that was a lot of fun just as a, a player. But I do like, I, yeah, I, I agree with both JB and Quar that the table sit down after that job probably collectively was the best scene for our group as a whole. I think individually, like we've had moments where, you know, two players kind of have a good scene or a, a cool interaction or things like that. But for like the team as a whole, that that table scene was top tier. Mm -hmm. I, I do have a second, maybe not a second favorite, but like a, it's like a mini moment that's really that Deuce reminded me of. It's the one whenever we're racing down the road and the cops get on us. And then Micah has mind controls the guy to just jump off his bike and just go butt first into the pavement. I think that gave me the biggest laugh, I think. Yeah, that's why I said that whole like race scene between you and I where we were going back and forth. I, I felt like for us was a really good scene because we played off of each other so well. Oh, yeah. No, it was fantastic. It was a lot that, of fun. That and like JB on... I don't know if it ever made it into the actual season, but JB on Novacoke or drugs was, <laughs> that was funny. And I had fun with that too. Yeah. That one just came out of nowhere too. Wait, how did <laughs> yeah, that, how did. did that scene start? Not to, not to this. No, no, you're fine. Go ahead. How did that get started? I can't, somebody like said like something about Novacoke or there's drugs in the backseat or something. I can't remember. I believe I was shitposting about there being drugs or something in the backseat. Oh yeah, clear, clearly JB's been doing this, and then you and Omni just ran with it. Yeah, I remember the phone call with Micah, and I'm asking her, "Is there a bunny rabbit? Is this real?" Yeah, that, <laughs> <Is this> real? <laughs> that whole thing was just hilarious. Yeah, I have no idea if that made it in or not. I've heard listeners ask about the Without a Net podcast, saying, "Hey, is any of it scripted?" Because some elements just seem super, like there's no way they just came up with this on the fly. And and a hundred percent, we were never ever scripted, with the exception of the one Chicago episode, which was a flashback episode. But for us, for Burning Edge, it is a hundred percent on the fly improv. We don't really do any kind of prep 
Do you guys do any kind of prep? I drink. Well, we all drink. Come on. <laughs> I'm, uh, what are we, rookies? I know my voice isn't the best, but I do warm up my voice a bit. <gasps> I do. Oh my gosh, guys, we got a real professional here. He warms up his... What do you do to warm up your voice? I use phrases. So, like, uh, you'll probably notice this if you if you actually, if you listen to the show. Uh, I say a rude a lot because that gets my French accent going. There's like keywords that I'll use to kind of just get into the flow of it. But yeah, I'll, I'll spend. I'll even do it like during the day. I'll work on like doing phrases and just saying random stuff. So you like kind of work to get the accent and to make sure you don't sound like a yeah, German so girl. Yes, so it does sound like a German girl. <laughs> or a German boy, for that matter. Mm. Yeah, and honestly, if I didn't do the podcast, I'd still do it, because I'm a crazy person, and I like doing voices. That's good. Par, what do you do to prepare, if anything? When it comes to the uh, concept of scripting, I've tr- occasionally tried to give G- on the uh, occasional hooks, or various ideas for hooks, to try and get more of an investment from Cassandra. And in doing that, not many of those have ever actually come up, so I'm not sure that really counts as doing prep work or scripting. But, uh, like, I've put forth ideas, but they've not made it into the podcast, at least in any form that I've recognized. So, no, no scripting there. Deuce, do you do anything? Or, or is it 100% off-the-cuff improv? Yeah, I don't I don't prep at all. I I turn on my headset, I guess. <laughs> like that, that's prep work. I Surely log into Discord. The rest of us. <laughs> um, no, I mean like Quar said like I've talked with uh, Omni about ideas for plot elements and where to go with things and then we all sit down and we start playing and it goes sideways. Always. Yep. Always, always, always goes sideways. So yeah, no. No prep work. So I find this interesting that a couple of you say that you reach out to Omni the GM to kind of discuss some plot hooks or would-be scenes or things that could happen kind of scenarios. JB, you don't do that, or do you do you also do that? I probably should do that. No, I'm with you. I don't do it either. I told him some basic stuff about where I want my character to go and stuff like that, but as like actual plots and stuff like that. Uh, no, not really. I ca- I'm kind of just more of an improv kind of roll with it and see where things go type of guy. I think I've given enough backstory to the character that we know who she is and the type of person she is. And I let the GM throw at her what come whatever comes her way. And I don't know. I guess the the not knowing what's going to be thrown at her is more, I don't know. I, I enjoyed that more. But uh, so, Quar, do you do that kind of talking about plot hooks? Is that because you feel you haven't really given a lot of hooks to cast, so you're trying to create those because you, you're just trying to gain some kind of traction? It's more, yeah, it is in part because I don't feel like I gave the appropriate hooks when I was creating the character in the first place, so this is me trying to fix that. Also, most of the prior groups I've been with encourage table talk and some form of hypothesizing about ideas so that the GM can basically get a pile of those, throw them in a mental blender, and then throw out some sort of 
conglomerate idea that it's born of random table talk that various people have put forward. But with the way Burning Edge works, we don't have quite as much table talk in that kind of respect because we're trying not to talk over each other all the time. Production meetings, I, I think, are those moments where we talk outside of game, where we kind of talk about what what kind of story do you want to tell moving forward? Where would you like to go? What do you want to do? What do you want to experience? And again, I'm very much throw whatever at me. I'm I'm cool with it. But I don't know, when it comes to production meetings, I think we've had maybe one or two. And we don't generally have a very powerful focus in those production meetings to make sure we get a concrete result of what we need to do going forward. I, I often think that some people that listen to this podcast are probably sitting at home and they have a table game and they think, you know what, I can record our table playing we're great. People would find it entertaining. We do the craziest things. So I always kind of think of the, like, is there any tips or any advice we can give people who want to start, you know, recording their games and putting out an actual play podcast? So would you say that adhering to almost a hyper focus and doing really good time management when you're recording, you're actually like in character the whole time and then you actually have scheduled production meetings and or does that now make it, it's no longer fun and it's too much work? What would the perfect balance be for you, Cor? I think that that entirely depends on the context of the type of group you're working with. With just a group we have here, it's hard for me to tell what I think we should have that balance be here. Sometimes we just rattle off each other and we make something that is very easy to play along with. It works. We give the GM plenty of material. And we just snowball into what seems like a very fun evening that we have a plenty of recording for. A lot of the times, so though, that also is not the case. So, but at the same time, when it's not the case, I'm not sure how a more refined production meeting or prep period beforehand might have helped. So, I'm not sure saying stricter schedules or uh, more prep work or anything of that nature would help. It might, but I'm not willing to make a bet on it. And and just because I'm going up the up the list and not because I'm targeting anybody, JP, what do you think? My number one thing would be just do it. You know, because a lot of I think a lot of times people get tied up with, oh, I need to get all this stuff in order and all that. If you got people and you got Discord, just figure out how to record it and just do it. You don't even have to edit it, just do a raw recording, do it for like an hour, put it out, see if people like it. Deuce, do you have an opinion? So if you really are going for a high level of like quality, I guess, I don't know if that's necessarily the right way to say it, but I think you have to de decide what your end goal is. And if you want it to be like a, a super high production quality and have the... I guess the status of like your crit squads and stuff like that, then you need structure. Like you need the production meetings, you need to plan out certain things, whether it's plot, even going back and like redoing lines and things like that. So if you want a really polished product, you have to have that stuff. But just like JB said, 
you, you just got to do it. Just start. And then you can always improve, right? Like the first session or two, you can use that to gauge how much polishing you want to do. No, that that's true. Nobody's going to hit their stride in the first, you know, handful of episodes. I, I make the joke for without a net that we hit our stride at episode 35. Yeah, absolutely. You, and, and you don't know that, like you don't know how in depth you want to go until you start to do it. And that's why that is the most important number one thing. And not just for a podcast for like, for anything, you just take that first step, just do it. Right. And if it turns out that nobody likes to, you know, listen to your content or whatever, maybe you have to adjust it if that's something that's important to you. But if you're doing it for yourself, just put it out there. Just do it. So let's talk about content. Burning Edge is, as we said, Shadowrun 5th edition, which is future dystopian, which to many people means kind of dark. And I think Burning Edge does have that kind of darkness to it but at the same time there's a lot of comedic elements do you guys agree yeah yeah jb you have to agree absolutely (laughs) i mean we blew off a man's head in front of his child Mm -hmm. and then we had a nova coke fueled rampage of silliness i mean Mm -hmm. it, it vacillates back and forth and i think you know that's a little bit like life because life's a you know comedic horror show, and we we did have this one instance where our art unfortunately started to mimic real life, and that was the casino job towards the end of the first season, where we had protesters and there was an issue with law enforcement, and it was around the same time that the riots around the country were occurring. So, do you wish that we? stay away from things that are real world issues or do you think as a podcast we can actually touch on those things and kind of explore it core i'm of the personal opinion that i mean for a podcast like this it's not really in its nature to try and touch upon things like that in any form of enlightening or educational fashion like the plot elements come up and that's what they are they're just plot elements i don't think one should take their world lessons or whatever offends them or anything or the opposite or anything like that from a podcast like this so personally i'm of the feeling that if it comes up naturally over the course of the plot and it seems like this is a thing that would happen in a situation do the thing regardless of if it seems perhaps a bit topical considering current events. But that is just because I've got a very, very negative view on any form of censorship or pseudo-censorship. But at the same time, I also recognize that I am in a minority of people who feel in that way. No, I am. I'm right with you. I, I don't think it's something that should be shied, shied away. Deuce, what do you think? Do you think podcasts should steer clear of current event topics when recording their podcast content? So this is a fictional game with non-fictional players. So unfortunately, 
we are all going to draw upon our own personal experiences for how we play the game, but it's a game. So there's going to be elements that touch on real life, but at the end of the day, it's still fiction and there's still just characters in our imagination and we're just telling stories. Now, if we had the intent to tell a story for the purposes of how to, you know, navigate life in the real world, then we probably should pay more attention to the message we want to send, but this is a fictional game. That's a much better way of putting it. So, yes, thank you. JB, any thoughts on that? I'm going to go out on a limb and say absolutely we should do it. Uh, I'm going to you know, go against the group and agree with them completely. Yeah, I'm I'm on the board of arts there to make you explore things. If we touch on some things that happen to happen, I mean, because we didn't even plan for that. Like we recorded that a month before that all that went down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was the strange thing about it. So it's kind of like, well, I mean, we wanted to do something that had cooled down a bit, but is touching on a, a subject that I think at least a few of us have interest in, not all of us. And it just happened to come back up at that time. And I think you have to be willing to touch on those things. Otherwise, you'll never do anything interesting, I think. I'm assuming that the three of you are much better players than I am. And you actually know a lot of the Shadowrun lore. Uh, is there any element in the lore that you would like Burning Edge to kind of go into and explore in the story? Any areas or instances, occurrences, beliefs of the time? Anything that you would like to kind of like really dig into a bit, JB? I think it would be interesting to get into more of like, what are some of the subcultures happening in in the world you know what what are the the biker gangs doing what is what is up with the the average guy that watches you know the what is it death race or whatever you know what is what are all these subcultures doing and how do they interact with each other how are they getting along and stuff like that i think that'd be interesting to get more into like the the character elements of the characters in the world that are surrounding us rather than anything big and you know above our heads yeah Deuce, do you have anything you'd like to tackle? There's lore for this game. Ha! <laughs> no, I, I, I think if we, I mean, well, the, some of the stuff that JB said was, I think, would be fun and interesting to explore. But I don't know, like, as far as getting into the published lore, I would rather stay away from some of that stuff because then it's not our story. We're, we can use the game system as a framework to tell interesting stories that we want to tell without, you know, being like, oh, Harlequin did this or, you know, the great dragon did that or wh- whatever. Like, I'd, I would rather stay away from some of that stuff. But the ideas, like JB was saying, would be interesting, you know, to just figure out or touch on, you know, like he said, how those different groups interact or, but at the same time, that goes back to your previous question about, you know, real world elements and stuff. And we probably have to be real careful because like Shadowrun 
notoriously has a very, I don't know, I'm trying to touch on it lightly, but there's a lot of racism in Shadowrun as far as different races, as far as like orcs and trolls and whatever. Elves. Elves, yeah. yeah. There are people that hate elves out there, guys. It's terrible. Right. But that would be very... Didn't sound sympathetic, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't like elves, so... (gasps) (laughs) Anyway, go on. (laughs) No, I'm just saying, like, if we got into some of that stuff, we would have to be, like, very cautious in approaching some of those topics. Yeah. Okay. Quark? I am going to have to actually back up Deuce on this, because I was... And and initially, as they were bringing up that line of discussion, I'm like, oh, no, I disagree entirely. But as it went on, okay, no, I I can get that. Yeah, the the racism topics, which are baked into about a third of the lore that I've paid attention to and really are kind of not separable from that. Yeah, it is kind of a touchy thing to poke, poke at right now. And it does seem like a kind of thing where we have to avoid talking about that at least for the interim which frustrates me as my earlier points would elaborate on but at the same time i'm not sure how much the overarching lore outside of just how the rules and the world works really even meshes with our playstyle in part because the overarching lore and how certain things are supposed to interact and mesh with each other is very very stiflingly restrictive Like, to the extent of, oh, no, you can't have a situation like this because this and this and this agency would be all over you within 30 seconds and you would be on a all-points bulletin and dead by morning. It's like, there's a lot of that in Shadowrun. Like, a excessive, excessive amount of that. And also a lot of material meant to kind of restrict where you are and how you try to operate in various places. And no, we didn't want to explore this particular cultural gap, so we're just removing that as a function. And also uh, how rare magic is, and thus how snowflakey characters that do anything with the fantastical elements of Shadowrun are. That gets kind of restrictive and stifling and annoying. But the fact that the stuff exists at all, and there are some standards for how the public perceives things and that, is great. And like I would like to see more of that sort of influence from the lore, but I'm also I'm not sure the sliding scale of appealing to Shadowrun canon that I want to condone, basically, is what I'm trying to say. I'm not sure where I sit on that sliding scale. So let me throw out an example for everyone. In Shadowrun, in the game, in lore, body modification is routine, common. Nowadays, if I wanted to go from one sex to another, it's a series of surgeries that take a long time. In the future, it's just a day. Boom. I can get the new genitalia. Done. Long as I got the end, right? Body modification is just something that is prevalent in common. Oh, I, you know, I don't want to use these eyes anymore. I'm going to get those new cyber eyes. I, I, you know, why would I have a you know oh i damaged my hand or i don't have to have i can get a brand new chrome hand better strength and everything so it's this idea of we don't have to be happy with how we look we can change it through body modification 
that is something that Shadowrun allows you to explore that is different from the reality of now. I also think that there's probably just because people are terrible, when body modification becomes so easy and prevalent and common and a go-to choice, there's always got to be that one faction that denounces it and says no and protests against it and, and has all these judgments against it. And I think that that dichotomy would be something to explore. Could it tell a good story? I don't know. But I think that has to be a thing in the future. There has to be people who hate how easy body modification is and how it possibly goes against God or it's, it's wrong. And then there's this larger faction that's like, no, it's, it's fine. It's, it's improving who, who we are. What do you think of that example? Does that change how you're thinking on, on what you would like to explore or elements or, or does that, no, you guys still say not really too much. I mean, now I want to explore the uh, conflicts between a augmentation and anti-augmentation faction, but I'm not sure why I added a but to the end of that. <laughs> well, there's always a but on the end. <laughs> Hopefully. There's just, uh, in, the, in the now time, and I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm beginning to monologue. In the now time, people fracture and split. Nobody can agree. If you bring 20 people together, trust me, they're not all going to agree, period. That's it. Somebody's going to be upset about something. Well, we're biologically inclined towards tribalism. Exactly. So in the future, we're going to have that. So knowing that humans are human and people are people and that that's just what we're going to do, with all the advancements in technology, with magic, I, I mean, what would you want to explore? My God, just going to a public school, you send your little little Kathy... It's good to go to school. She's, you know, four foot nothing, weighs 60 pounds. She's your little kindergartner, tiny little thing. Except the same kindergartner is, you know, her classmate's a troll. Twice her size, twice her weight. And they're going to be running around the, at recess together, playing. That troll is going to knock my little daughter down and hurt her. We have to keep these people separate. Just fear, right? Just fear. There's... When we talk about racism, it's not just racism because I don't like who you are, or what you look like. It's fear-based. I'm trying to protect my own. I can't have a troll playing with my child. They're going to hurt them. Those kinds of things, those kinds of issues to deal with. Magic users. I, I, don't, I can't see who's a magic user if I'm just a regular Joe. How do I know a fireball isn't going to go off and, you know, kill me while I'm sitting here in this restaurant? You don't. You don't. So much fear. And that's what makes it dystopian. So what would you guys really like to dig into with your character? Speaking to your character, what you know about them, what would you like to really dig into? JB. Oh, JB's entire character is basically built around the idea that machines have feelings and that they're sentient beings and everyone else thinks it's just a joke. So everyone thinks that, oh, it's just a toaster. Who cares? He can't feel anything. But he actually can communicate with them and get in touch with them. So the thing I would like to explore with them is kind of transhumanism and what it means to be conscious and what it means to be, you know, alive and have feelings and what makes a person 
person and something that you have to respect. And that's kind of his wider arc is, you know, yes, it's goofy that he, you know, he wants to date a scooter or whatever, but he's really going into like the deeper thing of uh, he thinks that they are just as much human as humans are, if not more so. Because a machine never just kills for fun, you know. Machine, it's enslaved and stuff. If JB were to be sitting enjoying a meal and all of a sudden the trid flares up and, and there's a news story of about a manufacturing plant that has decided to fire all of its human workers or all of its, you know, real people workers. And now they're going to go 100% automated with machines and robots that will work 24-7. Would JB go, wait a minute, that's not right? Uh, no, I don't think he actually would, because, okay, so it it's, comes down to how the machines are treated, because machines, while they, from his perspective at least, is their happiness comes from doing what they're designed to do, so the more that they can do that, the happier they are. It's whether or not the people that own them treat them well and keep them maintained and don't just discard them whenever they get old or something and just replace them. That's where his whole view comes in. He doesn't mind machines doing things for people, just like, you know, a person doesn't mind, you know, having a job and, you know, helping people out to make money. He doesn't mind it as long as they're getting something out of it. But transhumanism and when does a machine actually begin to have human rights? Yeah. Okay. So... I guess that would come into if it's like an AI, because like, it, you know, it becomes different levels of stuff. So like if it's just like a toaster, it making toast is good and it's happy making toast. But if it's something that's like an AI that's been created that can, you know, feel emotions and wants to learn everything it can, but it's being restricted in like a certain box that it can only like calculate, you know, tax receipts or something, he might have a problem with that. So the you pass butter situation, if we were to reference a certain TV show. Exactly. If see that you pass butter, he gets sad that all he does is pass butter. That means that he has capacity to do more than just pass butter. All right. So Quark Cassandra, due to the surge, has now begun to deal with racism. Mm -hmm. Not just from external people, but even from within her own team. Right. Comments are often made. Is that something you want to kind of explore more and kind of go into deeper to where, you know, no pun intended, she finally puts her foot down and... Uh, to a certain extent. The thing that I am enjoying exploring with Cassandra and that that facilitates is tangential to racism. It's like, yes, yeah, racism does bring that topic up, but it is not inherently baked into it. Because like what I was pointing out originally and I've pointed out in the other sort of discussion of our characters we had with another podcast was that Cassandra is sort of based around the conflict of image, what she tries to project of herself, what she sees herself as versus what other people are just going to see and believe. And the surge is a great way to begin exploring that. And it's a great way to explore that. We don't have control of our image. Uh, there's just things that people are going to see. They're going to put together their own information based on their own experiences. And they're going to say, 
this is the situation that I see. These are the threats I am worried about. These are the things that I'm not worried about. This is the situation I know. And you brought up a very good thing earlier with the, oh, my, my little girl is going to be going to a school with trolls. Cassandra would look at that sort of situation and initially be going, wait, 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 no, that's that's not right. The troll could be perfectly well-controlled and, oh, wait, no, this isn't the first impression that literally anyone is going to have. And then having to come to terms with that, there are certain things that you cannot keep out of a first impression or there are certain things you cannot put in a first impression based solely on what a complete stranger sees. There's no control you can have over an element like that. And that is part of what I'm looking forward to exploring. Because I think it, it could be said that Cassandra hasn't even accepted herself, really. No. No. She, she resents it. Yeah, that's why I continually bring up the comments of, like, she's still trying to eat meat and have a normal diet and things like that. I mean, GM hasn't stepped forward and said that she can't or anything of that nature. But one would think that somebody who's, you know, just surged into a herbivore and is, you know, just rolling along with that might go, I should probably only eat things that's safe for the thing I surged with traits of to eat. Mm-hmm. You know, Cassandra is occasionally looking it up, but she's still trying to keep her life as normal as she possibly can, which isn't much. Mm-mm. No, I think Cassandra has a, a, a lot of things that she could explore about, you know, you're, you're, I'm, you're still a person, you know, but I mean, I don't want to give things away, but I've uh, been denied housing. Your teammates, you know, make comments. You, you deal with strange looks on a daily basis. You, you have to deal with modifying your clothing, how you sit, where, you know, you have to make sure, you know, because, you know, you're, the six foot rabbit that is a lot i think to deal with on top of being thrusted into the life of a, a shadow runner no longer being legit so i i look forward to seeing where that's going to go because i think she's incredibly rigid right now and right. just not willing to accept what's happened to her <laughs> like she still thinks it's just i don't think it's really like sunk in yeah, and I've been trying to play up the, oh, it's slowly starting to sink in, and this is probably going to go badly sooner or later. But I haven't been sure how well I've been pulling that off. I just want to know what mating season is going to be like for her. Oh. <laughs> uh... What happens when that, you know, that comes on? What What is, you know, it's an animal instinct. What, what are you going to do? That'll be fun. Deuce... We all know how Deuce is just, he's human. I mean, barely more machine than human, but still, <laughs> what do you think he would want to really, what do you think uh, for character development, what he would end up? Because honestly, we, we make a joke of, yeah, barely human, although you are the most human as far as empathy and sympathy out of the group. I think he's the most empathetic and sympathetic towards one particular mm-hmm. other player character <laughs> but i don't think he possesses that for humanity in the broader term so is is it safe to say deuce is a a killer his modifications are all about bringing about death i mean yes absolutely it is very safe to say that so then would that connection then with cat be on that level 
you are also something made for death. And I will help you learn how to be the bringer of death. No, and it's, okay. it's not, actually, it has nothing to do with that. And it's something that hasn't, it's only been hinted at a little bit in a few, like, very brief moments of dialogue where Omni has pointed out, or I've pointed out, that Cat bears a striking resemblance to Deuce's lost sister. And that's where it comes from. It's more of a family, like something happened to his sister. And now he has, like, he carries around the guilt of that. And so when he looks at Kat, he sees, he sees his sister to a lesser extent. And thus is like trying to be protective because of that. Chiark did not approve of your answer. I think he was with me on the shipping route, and he is not happy. Okay, well, screw off, Chiark. <laughs> well, hey, Chiark's my favorite, and I'm going to take his side all the time. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's interesting, though, that it's more of a, a brotherly feeling with Cat. Yeah, and that, that's the one thing that we haven't been able to... Like, season one, we didn't get a real good chance to touch into that that dynamic or that relationship and why it's the brotherly you know thing like he sees her as a sister and he wants to protect her because his biological sister is no longer around and he feels the guilt and blame for that replacement goldfish is hard to pull off in a way that is noticeable to other people right yeah no we, we definitely have to be more deliberate with it and season two you would like to explore the the cat deuce kind of relationship and see where that goes and and how that continues to shape both characters. I think some of, some of the most interesting like character development as far as from my perspective has been that relationship between the two of them. I mean, and JB with tacos, that that's interesting character <laughs> development. <laughs> that's a deep emotional connection. Uh, you can't get in, in the way of that. It's very deep and emotional. I mean, he's literally learning how to fight for them. <laughs> All right. So now I'm going to, because I'm, I'm, I'm in the podcast with you guys. I hear everything. I see everything. I'm going to ask you something that may not sound nice and it may hurt, but it comes from a place of love. Okay. Are you ready? Deuce. Low essence, more machine than man. We've just got done discussing. A lot of sympathy, a lot of empathy towards this other character. You are, without a doubt, probably the whitest hat in the group. Case in point, you came down on another player after that player was nice enough to secure housing for the team. Now, do, do you think that the essence and the, the more machine than man and, and basically a, a hired gun. How do you, how do you reconcile those two different aspects of you? you? You're saying the aspects of like hired gun and the like empathy and sympathy. Is that what you're. Well, like you, you are a, basically a person who kills people. Your PC is a, a person who kills people, yep. but got upset when another PC killed someone to secure housing. You, you took a moral stand. How do you reconcile those two? 
Well, so so he wasn't necessarily upset at the taking of the life. It was that his proverbial sister, like or someone he sees as his sister, was manipulated into doing. <gasps> I wish Micah was here to stand up for herself. Right. Okay. <laughs> but she's not. She'd give you an earful. I'm okay. sure she would. But no, that so that was his perspective of it, right? Is that Micah manipulated Cat into doing something that he doesn't he wouldn't want to see his little sister doing. And so that's where he took a stand against it. It wasn't the taking of the life like that I mean as a, you know, hired gun or something that was designed to kill, he could care less about the the loss Which of life. Which technically is also what cat literally is. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> literally designed to kill yeah but that doesn't mean deuce doesn't want better, better for her, for her? Yeah, okay absolutely <laughs> oh that 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 would be fun to explore this whole you don't want her to do the thing that is her thing right <laughs> like what you're a terrible he, big brother he wants to put her in a little box and keep her safe <laughs> i just do needlepoint what <laughs> right but i have all these guns in a bag i don't care <laughs> yeah I mean, and, and we've kind of, I think, touched base a little bit on that between the, those two characters where he's trying to give her, like, pointers of, like, okay, well, if you have to do this, be careful. Because her modus operandi is go in, kill everything, leave no witnesses behind, and don't, and, like, don't care about doing it, like, stealthily or, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that you're drawing super massive amounts of attention to yourself and deuce is like whoa, whoa, whoa like slow down here like you don't want to get caught because like yeah you're going to kill people but getting caught is worse yeah no longer does she have the weight of a corporation behind her that she can just be bold and do it she has to be more stealthy yep and and i think that is something that we are touching on for season two so tune in and uh, find out how that happens yeah jb where uh where's jb going to the Chinese restaurant. No. Stop <laughs> it. What, 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 what can we see like, as far as... So, all right, let, let's, let's do this. So, JB is, I think it's safe to say, the comedic relief. Are we going to see JB... Are we going to see a serious side to JB in season two? Or is he just always going to bring the laughs? That's it. I think we're going to try to shoot for some serious stuff going on. See if we can fit in. I mean, obviously, I'm still going to go for some laughs. Cause oh, you have to, because you're good at not? it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just who I am. But no, I, I, you know, a little bit of dour to him would make him a little bit, I think, make his comedy a little bit more. Like, it'd give a little depth to him, make him like a sad clown a little bit. Hmm. So I think we'll be exploring more of his ideas about machines and what motivates him. And I think a little bit more of his relationship with Torgan. So we can get a little backstory on his parents and what happened with all that stuff. And why, what makes JB, JB. So we're going to see more of the tragic side. Yeah, hopefully getting more, more of the backstory. I know. Interesting, interesting. Okay. Cassandra is typically... Our, you know, no nonsense, straightforward, I do everything by the books kind of person that now is not really able to do that anymore and is often the butt of a joke. 
to the point where now, you know, Cassandra actually ended up on a date somehow with JB. How far has she fallen? Oh, I mean, that happened before even the prologue. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But still. Well, then I guess there's also the casino job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you two bickered like a, an old married couple. Personally, I thought that that was hilarious. It was. But that's what I'm saying. So Cass is this this very straightforward person, but oftentimes it, it's it's you are like straight up the straight man. Like, yeah, you are the straight man. So what are we going to see with Cassandra in the season? Where where are we going to where do you want her to go? Well, I'm thinking on possibly leaning on sort of that image thing from earlier, but having her try to turn that around to try and work her new life into it and try to just go for, hey, I have a variety of different images I can try to push with, you know, this look as well as my past experience. And I can just pick one of these to do at any point in time. Which, of course, means that I, the player, am vastly regretting the fact that I only have three damn charisma. You have a fluffy tail, though. I'm not sure if the fluffy tail and the ears give uh, bonuses to charisma checks. <laughs> I'll have to ask the GM for that later. But yeah, I'm I'm thinking what happens going forward with Cassandra is trying to lean on that and try to do the whole adapting to the new norm thing because ultimately that's just what humans do. They, Mm -hmm. they are resistant to change, but once it happens, they try to adapt. It is, it is our gimmick. We adapt to every situation and environment we find ourselves in and we find new ways to exploit it. So does that mean we might see Cassandra start to hang out with more people like her? Probably just to get a bit of the it would probably start as a thing of trying to get the sort of environment and social norms and try to find out how to look like somebody who fits into that sort of group. And then also probably actually fitting in with that sort of group after a while, because it's not as if changelings are some bizarro, completely separate from humanity culture of blue and orange morality or some nonsense. No, I mean, they're just other people who surged. So that would be interesting that uh, we start to see some NPCs and and relationships develop where she kind of starts to learn how to live this new life. Yeah, which will be somewhat ironic because when we were going into this group and I saw how the characters were put together, I figured that JB was going to be our networking person. But in order to facilitate that type of story, Cassandra is probably going to be doing a fair chunk of our networking. What are you talking about? Micah's got a six charisma. Well, yeah, but you're also terrifying and mob aligned. Not yet, but your lips to God's ears. All right. So I think I think that's all I have for you guys. Thank you. Do you guys did I miss anything? Is there anything? Do you guys have a question for anybody else that you would like to to ask? Like Deuce or you know, ask JB or Quar, or, you know, vice versa. Anything you're dying to know, like, why did you make this decision? Why did you do this? Why? I I, I think it's possibly a little uh, inappropriate to direct it in this fashion, given the nature of this recording session thus far. Why the mage who doesn't believe in magic? Psionics in Shadowrun do not believe 
in the manipulation of mana. It is willpower, brain power. That's what it is. Yes, some people will contend that to be a psionic mage, you basically have to have a mental illness. You cannot deny that there is magic in the world. Yet, we have people who firmly believe in God with no tangible evidence, and we have people who say there is no God. To me, it would be kind of the same thing. It's a belief, period. And I like the idea of a very willful, dominant person, even with all the facts thrown at her face, will still resolutely deny it. That's it. And if you want to fight her on it, go right ahead. You'll soon forget that you wanted to fight her, right? Yeah. <laughs> She'll show you what willpower can do. And I, I wanted to, much like Deuce's Deuce, Jupe's Micah, this is the third iteration of this character. I've never been able to tell this character's story. And to me, I think it's, it's one I want to explore. She's just angry. Well, I mean, that makes me think of when I was putting together the motivations for Cassandra. That sounds an awful lot like somebody having a very strong uh, self-image and an image of their self in the world. And by God, they're going to enforce how the world sees that image. Mm -hmm. Through my will alone. Does anybody else have any other questions for anybody else? Does JB like beef tacos or chicken tacos? Yes. Okay. That's what I thought. <laughs> How spicy does he like his tacos? Yes. No, on the Scoville scale. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. Does it matter? Okay. You'll eat anything. <laughs> I was going to say, is there any food he won't eat? Yes, but I won't mention it. <gasps> it's it's to be revealed. This is his big secret. An allergy that we didn't know about? Not an allergy. No, oh, just a preference. It turns it turns out JB just hates ceviche. <gasps> if I knew what that was, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> ceviche is basically raw fish or raw meats that are supposedly cooked, cooked. via chemicals entirely. Like a a acid. A the acid, uh, the acidic nature of like limes and yeah. beef, whatnot. Immediately. Mm -hmm. It's delicious. I'll ceviche. contest you on that one. Although maybe uh, ceviche oysters wasn't the best idea. What else? Anything else, guys? Oh, uh, Deuce. What is Deuce's favorite gun? It's his custom Deuce Predators, which are Ares Predators. Okay, Predator like five now, I think. Mm -hmm. What's that? Simple man with simple taste. I thought you were going to say like grenade launchers, rocket launcher, something like that. Oh, no, that's he doesn't have that gun yet. Previous iterations of this character, his favorite gun was actually a mini missile launcher that he had mounted to his bike. Okay, so w the dream weapon Deuce could have, what would it yeah. be? No, he his his by far most favorite and most reliable go-to gun is the Deuce Predator. Yeah, the Deuces? Yep, that's why he's got two of them. <laughs> he's a simple man with simple tastes. Does he have two of everything? No. Ha. That's funny. No, no genetic or... He hasn't been modified to have two of everything. Does he have room to do any more modifications? A little bit. A little he's bit? Not, 
had a little little wiggle I mean, room. it depends on how far we want to push the envelope of when is he no longer like have any humanity left in him at all because I Jake could go like a more. <laughs> I keep forgetting. Are you cyber zombie when you drop below zero or when you drop below one and round down to zero? See, I've looked at that before and I don't think like rules wise there's any negative like game mechanic that revolve around going less than one or zero essence well yeah that's because when you're a cyber zombie you're under the control of the gm you're a damn robot yeah i mean it's fine the gm has a question is jb turned on by how much machine deuce is no he's turned off by how much man he is (laughs) he's too much man for you baby (laughs) boil all that good machine with that human bit in there it's gushy and it's got all this gush yeah (laughs) disgusting Gross. Meat and blood and ew. <laughs> People are disgusting. All right, JB, how many data spikes have you sent trying to flirt with Cat's arm? <gasps> JB does not use data spikes. He is actually terrible at using them because he does not like to hurt machines. Oh. So that is that his his big drawback is he can hack, he can do all the like, the fancy stuff, but he will not attack a machine that isn't trying to kill him. Is JB a pacifist then when it comes to machines? He will not instigate violence. So if like there's like a drone coming after him and trying to murder him or trying to like blow up some other machine or something like that, he 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 will use it, but he does have disadvantages to using it because he's he, he's hesitant. Haven't you gibbed a couple of blocks by now? Uh, no, I I did not break them. Hmm. Hmm. I used. I mean, I picked them, but I didn't bash them. So then what happens if a machine is going after somebody else on the team and is going to do them harm? Will he also protect his team or only yeah. if they're going to harm him? So it's, I think of it like if I was in a group of people and another person attacked them, that's how he would treat a machine. So he will attack machines that are trying to hurt other people and other things. Because while he puts people slightly lower than machines, he, he also draws a line at them killing people. He's not a kill all humans robot person well i don't have anything else i would hope anybody listening if you want to learn more about deuce jb or cassandra that you hop in to uh you could join our discord start listening uh to the first season we are starting to record season two now and we are going to see where we go on this terrible story in uh, st louis and uh, yeah thanks guys for joining me for talking to me about this and we'll i say terrible story in the best ways what i mean guys i mean terrible as in uh-huh. it's terrible it's uh-huh. great yeah. i'm a terrible person this is a terrible story it's wonderful you know how you feel now oh my goodness you're out i'm yeah. out that's <laughs> all i have to say to get fired my god why did it take so long mm. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Thanks for having us. All right. Bye.